The Cumberland River, it is truly Nashville's most important and significant asset. And sadly, many of us don't really see it as such, and we should. It is the lifeblood, the literal lifeblood of the city. Welcome to the Cumberland River Compact's River Talks podcast. In each episode of River Talks, we explore a new topic related to the health, enjoyment, and protection of the Cumberland River Basin's water, people, and special places. We sit down with experts, artists, researchers, professionals, and more to share their knowledge and experiences. I'm Katherine Price, your River Talks host. Be sure to subscribe to River Talks to be notified of every new episode. And if you have a moment, please rate and review our podcast. The Cumberland River is a powerful and important waterway that connects Nashville with the region, supplies water to the area, and continues to be a mode of transportation. In this River Talk, we hear from local historian David Ewing about the history of the river and how it was literally responsible for the founding and growth of Nashville. Hear stories about how it froze, flooded, and how the Cumberland River put Nashville on the map. While sometimes ignored, the Cumberland has been a driving force for the growth and development in Nashville. This podcast is a pre-recorded audio from a lecture that David Ewing gave in September of 2021. Because of that, you may hear him occasionally mention photos or images while he's describing the river. So, um, the Cumberland River, it is truly Nashville's most important and significant asset. And sadly, many of us don't really see it as such, and we should. It is um, the lifeblood, the literal lifeblood of the city, as you will find out during our talk, providing transportation and clean water, and even an identity of the early river city. So um, you can't talk about the Cumberland River without talking about the Mississippi River. It is just truly you know, our important waterway and of course connects to the Cumberland via the Tennessee River. And a lot of people, you know, the Mississippi River was kind of the place where Western development really started. Tennessee originally became the 16th state in the Union in 1796. And our first nickname was not the Athens of the South, it was the Athens of the West, because we were the foremost Western state at the time. And so this picture just really shows you about kind of the importance of early settlement and early settlers needed to be near water. And this is one of the kind of few slides that I want to really emphasize to you all. So this is the 1800, uh, 1800 population of the United States. And you see the top 10 cities for population. And all of them are on the water and all of them are on the East Coast and of course, including the port of Charleston there. And before railroads and before trucks and interstates, you know, rivers were the most important part for the starting of a city and the growth of the city. And that's why in the early days, Nashville and Memphis grew much more than Knoxville. Knoxville did not have that connecting body of water um, as we did. So if you look at 1800 and then the next slide, 1830, you pick up the port of New Orleans down there and still and then Cincinnati. So Albany, New York by that time had a canal. So Boston, so all of these cities, once again, had water in common. 1850, we pick up St. Louis, Cincinnati, but still similar things. And this is right before the railroad started to dominate 
here in America. And so by this time, this is when this is the railroad era, 1910. And so you have Detroit by then, um, some of the uh, Pittsburgh, and then when the railroads start really taking place, and of course, the interstate highway, we pick up Houston, we pick up Los Angeles, and of course, train, train and plane travel. And then, of course, 10 years ago, the census numbers in Dallas, San Antonio, and Houston, Phoenix, which is not a river city. So you can see how the importance of river has been diluted a little because of train travel, airplane travel, and of course, the interstate highway system. The Cumberland River, this is our mighty, mighty Cumberland River. And as you know, it is um, almost 700 miles long and about 60% of it is in the great state of Tennessee, 40% is in Kentucky. And it just kind of meanders, you know, through Nashville. Nashville was founded on Christmas Day, 1779. You had two groups of settlers from North Carolina. They came here for free land, basically. They were land grants. And so James Robertson and John Donaldson made the trek. James Robertson came by land and John Donaldson came by river and boat with uh, enslaved people, which included some members of my family, and then the women and children. And then they kind of met up here in Nashville. And this is this kind of symbolic shaking of the hands. And they stopped at the bend in the Cumberland River, kind of where Riverfront Park is today. That's a lower lying era of the city. And it's almost like a natural wharf, even though there wasn't a dock there, the river just kind of meets the land and so it's very accessible there. And so that's where the original settlers kind of landed and to create this new city of Nashville. This is a map from 1804. And you could see, you know, basically the city growing around this river. River was important for many, many reasons. A, for clean drinking water, and B, for transportation. And it was just, it was a, it was part of the identity of our city. We sadly don't have as much identity as a river city as Baltimore or New Orleans or Charleston, Boston, but we should. We are definitely a river city just as much as any of those cities. But to go back to the early days of the river, uh, the earliest people that came here came on flat bottom boats, kind of like the Donaldson party. Uh, the river was not deep in certain spots at that time. And, you know, it was a little bit more treacherous to come through here before improvements were made to the Cumberland River. And in 1909, the, I mean, 1809, we had the first kind of upstream navigation um, you know, from New Orleans to, to, to Nashville. And the first kind of major steamboat came here in July of 1818, the General Jackson arrived. And you can imagine being in Nashville at the time and seeing this just huge vessel come here and dock here and people getting off. It must have been almost like seeing someone land on the moon at the time. That was extraordinary that people could travel that way and then disembark. And during the 1820s and 1830s, river travel continued during that era. Uh, people came here by river, and of course, goods and services were transferred too. The 1850s had our first kind of regular river kind of excursions come here. Before this time, if you came to Nashville and you didn't use the river, we were a stagecoach town, but you came literally by stagecoach horse and carriage, and you stayed at one of our inns. 
But by the 1850s, we had packets come here three days a week, and they came from, you know, they came from Memphis and St. Louis, and they just kind of made the trek. So you could come to Nashville or leave out of Nashville during that time. And during that time, the federal government finally got involved to improve the river. The early days of the Cumberland River in the city of Nashville, it was hard to navigate because some parts were low, some parts had brush in them. And so the federal government spent $155,000 to improve the Cumberland River, dredge it, get rid of some of the uh, impediments to uh, river travel. And that was a very important time. And we were kind of a growing, but still kind of small city. Uh, but like I said, look at the buildings of Nashville at that time. They were mainly around the river because that was really the engine of the city at the time. The area that is now kind of downtown Nashville, kind of first, second, third, fourth, fifth Avenue, which was the earliest settlements of Nashville. And across the river, we had a separate city called Edgefield. Edgefield was not um, affiliated with Nashville in the early days. And they were both um, people lived in Edgefield and worked in Nashville and vice versa. But the only way to get to Nashville, if you did not use a ferry, was one of the bridges. And the earliest bridges uh, spanned the river. The first bridge was in 1822. Uh, it was 40 feet long and it had wood flooring. It was where the Woodland Street Bridge is today. And sadly, the bridge fell in 1851. The wooden floors fell. Um, a heavy wagon with eight horses kind of fell in the river. The two, the driver and the passenger were actually rescued. And so it was after that that we realized that we did not have strong or sufficient bridges. And then the bridge that replaced that was a private toll bridge. And so the people that lived in Edgefield had to pay a toll every time they came to Nashville, except if you walked. If you used a horse or you carried any goods across, you had to pay a toll. And that caused a lot of tension between these two uh, towns, that basically the city of Nashville built the bridge and, the, and they needed the people from Edgefield. And so um, finally what happened, Edgefield decided that they would merge with Nashville after the Civil War if they got free use of the bridge. So they had to, pay, they had to raise taxes and pay for half of the bridge. And then the city of Nashville had to pay the other half. Now, I'll tell you why they had to build a new bridge soon. Fort Donaldson, just north of here, was a very important battle of the Civil War. Um, General Grant saw this as a very key piece of taking over the state of Tennessee, particularly Nashville, and raged a war on land and by sea. There were gunboats, and so there were three generals and uh, in charge of Fort Donelson for the Confederacy. Uh, the major general of the Army of Tennessee had left them in charge, but none really kind of knew who was the real leader of the three. And because of that, they all just kind of didn't do anything to save Fort Donelson. And the Union Army and Grant was able to take it over pretty easily. And once Fort Donelson fell, it left a clear path on the Cumberland River and by land to the city of Nashville in 1862. So um, the spring of 1862, the Union Army just roared into Nashville and all the Confederates either were arrested or they fled. 
and it was uh, an occupied, we were an occupied city for um, until the end of the war. What was interesting about the fall of Fort Donaldson and the occupation of Nashville, that was a psychological blow to the Confederate Army. The Confederate Army really prided themselves of being in Nashville, the state capital and you know the home of Andrew Jackson. And that one battle of Fort Donaldson really was a turning point of the Civil War. And then of course later was the Battle of Nashville and Battle of Franklin, which were both won by the Union Army. When the Union Army came into Nashville in 1862 and the Confederates fled, they, this is a bridge going across the East Nashville, the suspension bridge. And they cut the wires of the suspension, suspension bridge so they didn't want the Union Army to follow them or to be able to use the bridge. And so they damaged, they destroyed the bridge as they fled and left the city. So the Union Army had, a, had to fix that bridge temporarily, but it really didn't get fixed until after the Civil War. And so when we did, uh, it got on the cover of Scientific America, which is probably the last time Nashville has been on the cover of Scientific America. And there's our uh, new suspension bridge. But getting back to what East Nashville and what um, West Nashville looked like, at the time of the Civil War. The topography of East Nashville is much different. It was, it was higher back then. They, uh, the industrial use later on just kind of flattened it out. But that was kind of what was going on in our city at the time. A lot changed uh, in the 1870s. There was a riverboat captain by the name of Tom Ryman who bought his first boat, the Alpha, from New Orleans and decided to run a steamboat company from Nashville on the Cumberland Rivers up to, up to Cumberland, up to Kentucky. Now, what was interesting during this era, which still railroads were starting to get their hold on the area, it was hard for railroads to go up to the northwestern part of Kentucky because it was a very hilly, mountainy area. And, but the riverboats could easily navigate up there. So he had a definite advantage to the uh, railroads of bringing goods and services up there. The railroads dominated from west to east, from Memphis to, to Knoxville, and of course down south. But that's how Ryman really kind of made his fortune because he just dominated that portion of the river and bought many, many more boats and then later became the largest boat owner in Nashville um, and actually in the, in, the, in the whole area. This is very typical of Ryman's boats. And this is the area kind of First Avenue near the warehouses on Second Avenue. So as you know, the warehouses were built basically as warehouses to store the goods that were unloaded from the riverboats of Captain Ryman. That's how goods got here. It was a very easy way to get them here and they came here in big numbers. What was interesting at the time was there was a price war between Captain Ryman and the railroad companies, the Louisville and Nashville Railroad and Nashville Chattanooga St. Louis Railroad got into this fierce rivalry of prices that the railroad would cut their prices and Tom Ryman would match them. The railroad, then Tom Ryman, the railroad would say, you know, we're going to cut them again. And Tom Ryman would come back and say, I'll ship your goods basically for nothing and store them here for free. And the railroads did the same thing. Today, we have Cummings Station because of that. It was built as a warehouse and it was part of this war 
with the uh, with Tom Ryman to undercut each other and put each other out of business. Really, that's why they were just using this as lost leaders. What was interesting about this time and this big price war between the steamboats and the railroads on the Cumberland River and the railroad tracks was um, we started to have competition with goods that were meant to make flour. And when the railroads cut their prices, Tom Ryman said, if you bring anything to Nashville that helps make flour, I'll basically you know, store it here for free and you'll basically hardly pay anything. And so all these flour mills started to pop up in Nashville. And that's why we became one of the top milling sites in the Southeast and companies like Martha White Flowers you know, started here because of that huge price war. Ryman, these were some of his lines that he ran from Nashville and Paducah, Nashville and Evansonville, and Nashville and Burnside, just all on the river. His offices were at the foot of Broadway, which is kind of where the parking lot of, plant, of the Hard Rock Cafe is today. That's where Ryman's offices were. And of course, the famous statue of Captain Ryman outside the Ryman Auditorium with him taking the wheel. Now, I do have to kind of talk about a friend of mine uh, who used to work in the Metro Archives. She always kind of scolds me as it says that it's not the east bank of the river, it's the north bank of the river because the river kind of runs west to east and then you've got the north side of the Cumberland River and the south side of the Cumberland River. So everyone calls it the east bank, but you know, she said that technically it's the north side. Well, this is the area where the Titan Stadium is today and this was a lumber yard back then. And as you could also see how close to the uh, river's edge this, these businesses were, the, the water dramatically changed. It went up and down a lot and there was lots of flooding. So the best use of the east bank of the river back then were these manufacturing things that could not get flooded out. One of the interesting things besides flour being kind of a boom town were logs. So the east bank of the Cumberland River, we had all these mills that were sawmills. And you know, during that period of time, the buzz of a sawmill was just constant in Nashville. And what would happen, you would have logs and trees come from down the Cumberland River, up the Cumberland River, and come to Nashville and make to these mills. And this is a young uh, man who basically made a raft out of logs. And if you could make a raft out of logs and just float it down to the Cumberland River, to one of these mills, you could sell them and make a lot of money. And that's why we were known as the hardwood capital of the uh, South during that time. We really produced more hardwood than anybody else. So I was on a uh, documentary recently about the Nashville public school systems in the history. And I talked about this man, Hillary House. He was mayor of Nashville from 1909 to 1915, was thrown out of office, came back in 1923 and was mayor until he died in 1937 in office. And Hillary House was a champion of the river and champion of clean water. He ran for mayor in 1909 against an incumbent mayor. And at the time, we had a big cholera outbreak in the city and clean drinking water was not necessarily very reliable at the time. And what I found was, was very fascinating. When you think about 1909, we didn't have radios and television and some of the great technology that we know today. And in a debate that he had with the current mayor in East Nashville about what the issues were the city, he talked about clean water. He talked about the importance of making sure we lived in a healthy, clean city. 
And what was interesting about his quote during this debate in 1909, he said, I know as a, as a country and a city, we're gonna have technology and inventions that we cannot even imagine today. But what I do know is we will always need clean drinking water, no matter what we do. And the other, the current mayor said, well, we have clean drinking water. And someone shouted out from the audience, well, people are dying of cholera every day. And so it was Hillary, and he won by a landslide, over 70% of the vote. And so Hillary House, we owe a lot to just kind of having the vision. He was also the visionary that helped build the uh, Shelby Street Bridge, which we'll talk about later. This, this is it. Most people that see this, this was the Nashville River Terminal. And it was built in 1923. And most people, it's kind of the, where the Riverfront Park is today. And people look at that and say, what is that thing? And why is it there? And if you unload on the shore of the river and the river goes up and down a lot in floods, all your goods are ruined. And so what this did was provided safe storage. And if you notice, there's different levels of this uh, warehouse. And so if the water rose, you can still have a place to store on the upper levels. And if it went down, if it was low like this picture, you could still store it too. So this was kind of a loading place where, you know, and there were railroad tracks on the other side of this. So it's like, this is where the river and the railroads actually cooperated for once that they, you know, the, the railroads went different places and longer places than the river boats at the time. So, um, like I said, it solved the problem of unloading everything and then having a, a high water ruin everything. So let's talk about some of the polluters. Uh, this is the Newhoff plant, uh, which is now being remodeled. As you know, it's in Germantown and it's right on the river. And what was Newhoff? It was a huge slaughterhouse and that they, you know, they made ham, they, they, they made bacon, they made all sorts, pork, all sorts of things, but they slaughtered hundreds and hundreds of animals, if not more, a day. And those carcasses were just thrown in the Cumberland River, which is on the other side of this building. And so at the time, people would say the river, the Cumberland River was blood red because of all the blood and guts that were in the river during the time. And this kind of went on for decades in Nashville that Newhoff just decided that they would just throw everything in the river and it just didn't matter. This is another uh, polluter that um, my friend who, Debbie, who worked at the archives, gave me a picture of. Her father worked at the Mead paper mill. And this was out near the old uh, state prison near Centennial Boulevard. And they were right there on the river too. And they were a huge polluter too. And they just threw anything in the river and we just didn't care back then. They closed up in the early 50s and moved to New Orleans, but still decades and decades of bad dumping in the river had already damaged our river. And so one of the things that I want to tell you about related to things in the river were sewage. So, you know, we would just dump raw sewage in the river. And that was just kind of what we did. And it was something that the city just always did. And I found an interesting statistic that in 1946, a third of our dwellings in Nashville did not have flushing toilets. So think about that, one out of three. And so where did all that waste go? Well, um, sometimes you might've had uh, outhouses 
and other people, you know, even the people that had septic tanks, a lot of those septic tanks ended up in streams or well water. And even in 1946, 20% of Nashville had no sewage. So sewage was discharged and just kind of went everywhere and it just smelled, it was terrible. Finally, in 1954, under Mayor Ben West, we proposed two new sewage plants here in Nashville that cost $11 million. We had originally proposed a plant, one plant in 1947, but that plant was based on the 1940 census and the city had grown just so much. So at least Ben West decided that, look, we need to bite the bullet and you know our population's only gonna continue to grow. And so they finally built two sewage treatment plants that basically we, we would not be dumping as much raw sewage in the Cumberland. We still did, some of it got treated, but we still dumped quite a bit of raw sewage in the Cumberland. More on that later. I like this painting of Arthur Dyer, who was the founder of Nashville Bridge Company, and of course, who Dyer Observatory is named after uh, at Vanderbilt. Arthur was a Vanderbilt student and loved, he was an engineer and loved bridges and loved steel, and he started the Nashville Bridge Company, which of course was right by the river, and one of his projects that he wanted to get was to build the new Shelby Street Bridge, even though he located his business right next to the bridge, he didn't get the project, which is kind of ironic and sad, but nonetheless, he still built many bridges and later boats. Uh, this was probably Nashville's first tall and skinny, if you will. The original bridge building was six stories high, which is the tallest building in East Nashville, towered over everything. And although he did not get the project for the bridge, they connected the, 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 uh, the bridge to his building. And Dyer really understood that the need, the South was growing at the turn of the century and that needed, and bridges to cross rivers and other bodies of water were very important as the population kind of spread out. And so he really was a visionary of kind of the bridge movement in the Southeast. Um, during that time, he, like I said, he didn't get the contract for the, uh, the, Nash the Shelby Street Bridge, but he did get the contract for, uh, during World War I, to build a lot of boats and barges. And so that became another niche of the Nashville Bridge Company. The Shelby Street Bridge is a kind of interesting story, too. Hillary House was kind of responsible for steering that to the where it is today. It was originally called the Sparkman Street Bridge, and it crossed the Cumberland Originally, they were going to make a smaller bridge, but once again, make no small plans. They really thought Nashville's going to grow as a population, and we don't need a small bridge. And they, they really made a bridge much bigger than they needed at the time, but it definitely served us well the decades later. The original plan for the Shelby Street Bridge was to dump out on where Lower Broadway is, come in through that area where we know is Riverfront Park. The Broadway merchants did not want that. There were a bunch of furniture stores, including Hillary House, the mayor. He had a furniture store down there too. So he listened to all of his people. They thought if the bridge had come and dumped on Lower Broadway, all the cars would just zoom by and they wouldn't kind of stop and buy furniture from them. So they made it just kind of nearby, convenient, but not kind of where they could just kind of race down. And that's really also why that Shelby Street just kind of dead end originally and you had to kind of snake your way around to Lower Broadway because the furniture people wanted you to shop there. 
That's true. Um, during World War II, the National Bridge Company made mine sweepers on the banks of the Cumberland River, kind of right near their building. They were long buildings and they, they, they made these. And of course, later Nashvilleans remember barges being made here. And, you know, old timers remember they would blow a whistle right before they would launch one of these barges. And you'd come running out of your office just to kind of in, be on the banks of the river just to see, you know, and then 30 minutes later, you'd get to see this the christening of the barge in the Cumberland River. And that was entertainment for us back then. <laughs> and there it is. All made in Nashville, launched in Mas Nashville right there. The other thing that we had were ferries across the river, the Cumberland River, since certain parts of the city that dealt with the Cumberland River did not have bridges. You had ferries, Cleese's Ferry, and many other ferries, Hyde's Ferry. There were, that's how you got across the river, particularly even with your car. The interesting thing about the Shelby Street Bridge to me is um, what happened to it later. And we'll talk about that when I talk about Bill Purcell. Um, floods, you can't talk about the history of Cumberland River without talking about floods. This is the 1926 Christmas Day flood. We had, the flood was four feet higher than the flood in 2010. And since we were on the river, that's what happens. When you're on the river, sometimes things flood. And particularly before we had um, dams, um, the federal government did fund some early locks and dams before this. And locks were basically to make the Cumberland deeper in places so they could be navigable. Because the early days of Cumberland River, there was a season of boating, which was basically from about November to August, because during the other parts of the year, the water was so low that you really couldn't navigate the Cumberland River. But putting up locks around the Cumberland River allowed water to be deeper most of the year, you know, later nine months of the year. Now, of course, today with our dams, you could navigate the Cumberland River every uh, month of the year. But flooding was a major problem, and it, it is why certain parts of the city did not get developed at the time, particularly where the Titan Stadium is. Uh, south of Broadway was a very chronic place where flooding happened uh, a lot. So if you look at all the old buildings in Nashville, old timers knew that we flooded like this, so they didn't build kind of, you know, they, Tom Ryman could have built the Ryman south of Broadway. He didn't. Boom Fogg could have built down there. Courthouse could have built. They, they knew. This is kind of what Nashville was dealing with. Dr. Lentz was probably the greatest public servant that worked for the city of Nashville. He was our Metro health, he was our health director pre-Metro and during Metro for decades. And John Lentz was someone that cared about health, safety, vaccines, and of course the quality of fresh water and the Cumberland River. And what was interesting during the development of Green Hills, um, the health department was out there because I remember George Cade, our former vice mayor, our first vice mayor, telling me that, you know, when he grew up in Green Hills, they just had septic tanks out there and they'd have to dig them up. And it was just, you know, it was not part of the city of Nashville. But the health department really pushed for water to be purified and pushed for us not to dump raw sewage in the Cumberland River. And particularly Dr. Lentz. Dr. Lentz was just someone that was an outspoken person on everything related to the health and safety of 
clean drinking water. And when Green Hill started to develop, Dr. Lentz um, was asked to sign off on some, you know, sewage um, issues out there. And he wouldn't. And he said, basically, he was not going to sit by idly and let raw sewage flow down Hillsborough Road. Um, Hillsborough High School had was on septic tanks before a, a fire that destroyed most of the school in 1951. And when it was rebuilt, you know, here's once again, Dr. Lentz out there saying, you need, the city needs to pay for, or the county needs to pay for an adequate sewer system. And the county mayor at the time was Beverly Briley, and he agreed with Dr. Lentz and he would study the issue. But before the fire, you know, the, even Hillsborough High School, the grounds of Hillsborough High School was soggy from sewage all the time because it wasn't being treated well. And Lipscomb, uh, David Lipscomb nearby also suffered from, you know, lack of proper sewage disposal. And they were also dealing with the problem. And even when Green Hills Mall was developed uh, later um, during this time in the late 50s, they had to kind of tackle the sewage issue because, you know, there was old sewage lines kind of near Richland Creek, but not anywhere else. And we had these, we still have these old brick sewage sewers that we uh, established many years ago. One of the most famous goes through Centennial Park right underneath the Parthenon. It's, it's a brick sewage that has been used since the 1890s and it kind of crosses through Ellenson Place. And, you know, that's one of the things that, you know, Dr. Lentz really kind of championed that, you know, we, so we finally under Mayor Ben West had these new systems where we could at least uh, keep up with the growth of the population. Here's Beverly Briley, um, our first mayor of Metro government, took over in 1963. But um, Beverly Briley was someone who, it was interesting, George Kate told me once that during the Metro government era, we were Metro and we were new and we didn't care about old stuff. And we really didn't care a lot about infrastructure, old infrastructure either. We wanted to kind of brand, bring brand new things to the city. And one of the things that Briley brought to the city was the thermal plant. I think somewhere in Europe, they had had one of these that, you know, we basically took all of our trash, took it downtown, right by the river, kind of where Ascendi Amphitheater is today, and burned it. And older Nashvilleans will remember after the thermal plant would burn trash, there would be this fog of like this film of trash and dirt on your car from the thermal plant. And it was just, it was a massive operation. And, you know, why would anybody put that right next to the Cumberland River and right in downtown Nashville? It's just head scratching really to say that that would even be a possibility. Not a lot was going on with the river that we just had handed it over to the industrial people that were building things on the river. And they, you know, did not really care as much to keep it clean or to, uh, you know, they cared about being able to get from one point to the next point. But um, it really took organizations like the Cumberland River Compact to kind of really bring a lot of attention to the quality of the river, the quality of the wildlife in the river, the quality of the drinking water, and not putting things in the river that we shouldn't. This is a picture of Nashville kind of looking from the newly built interstate under construction uh, toward the downtown era. And you could kind of look the river and it didn't look that clean back then. And it wasn't. This is an unfiltered picture of the Bell Carroll Riverboat. And yes, the river is brown. That, that's from the 80s. I mean, we, 
we still were dumping sewage in the river that was untreated and it really wasn't, you know, a great place to be. You know, in the 40s, it's interesting, somebody had traveled the river and they saw, they just basically said, I saw dead fish all the time because of all the waste that was poured in the river. And it was just, and it smelled. And if you remember, um, this is a picture of our mayor, Bill Purcell, who was mayor from 1991 to 1999. And I, what I like about this picture of Mayor Purcell is it's taken from East Nashville, looking toward the city. He famously got elected by having a commercial in his front lawn with a desk and saying, I'm going to work for your neighborhoods. And Bill Purcell really cared about the river and cared about East Nashville, too. And he did a couple of things that really improved the quality of the river that we really should appreciate today. One was he got rid of the thermal plant. The thermal plant, you know, up until recently was still burning trash and providing energy for these downtown buildings. He was like, no, we need to get rid of that. And those Nashvillians, you remember going to Metro Center and around the interstate loop of 65, there's a water treatment plant over there. And when you pass that, you would just, it would smell. And Purcell spent money to fix that water treatment plant up and it stopped smelling. And therefore we were not putting as much um, raw sewage in the Cumberland River. You can't be a major city. You can't attract industry. You can't, you know, attract people and have people want to use the river and parks and greenways if it smells or if there's dead fish in the river. So that's one of the great things that we have done today. Thank you so much, David, for that. It's uh, we were talking before we started that it's just scratching the surface of the conversation around the Cumberland River, and there's you know, each one of those slides can be its own presentation. So thank you for that overview. And um, yeah, I could, I could have easily given a five hour talk on oh, the Cumberland yeah. River. History is about as deep as the Cumberland River. It's really yes. interesting. Well, like I said, I, I will say, please support the Cumberland River Compact. I have two friends that were founders of it, uh, Bill Forster, and then of course, the late uh, Shirley um, Patterson. Um, she, just was passionate about this organization. And, you know, it's interesting to see Nashvillians of all walks of life kind of come together over a river and over this great entity, this body of water. Um, you know, it used to freeze before, you know, we made it deeper. And so the last time I think it froze was in the early 40s. And so you see these people walking across the Cumberland River and even someone drove a car across it. You know, the river belongs to all of us. And I'm hopeful under kind of the new administration and the new city that we, you know, really look to, and I know the Tennessee Titans and the city are looking to partner and to come up with some good uses of how to make this more accessible and people that can put a boat in the river and kind of row and paddle and more docks and spaces that, you know, we are River City. It is part of our identity, even though we don't see it as much. People now appreciate the river more than more that we have these buildings nearby. And you know, every time you kind of go downtown, you should think of the river. So thank you. Well, thank you, David. I couldn't end on any a better note than that. So really appreciate your time. Thank you to David Ewing for joining us for River Talks. As always, if you'd like to learn more about what was mentioned in this episode, you can visit our blog at cumberlandrivercompact.org slash blog.